0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucker nutters? What the fucker nutter butters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. John Waters is on the show today. All right, I talked to him a while ago. It was like actually in February, and we agreed to hold it until today because today is John Waters' birthday. He's 75 years old today, and for his birthday, Sub Pop is releasing a digital single by John called Prayer to Pasolini. This is John's tribute to the Italian director, Pier Paolo Pasolini. And we talk about that, but we also talk about his movies and his relationship with Divine and just about, uh, you know, a lot of filth in general, just filth, filth on his birthday, filth filled John Waters interview. It's also on a non-filthy level. My mother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Toby Marin. Uh, How does it feel to be 37 again? And how does it feel to be? I'm not going to even talk. I'm not you. You look great, mom. Happy birthday. I'm glad you're here. So I'm vaccinated. And today, today, I'm like fully free and clear. Okay. So that means I'm, I'm done. From my understanding, the odds of me getting it are low to nothing. So the odds of me spreading it without knowing it are low to nothing. So when do, when does the protocol shift? The point I'm making is at some point we got to re-enter the world. And I went to a party. Did I talk about that already? My first vaxxed party. Yeah, I went to a party where where people were gathered and uh, acting like it was the before times. It was kind of weird, right? Aren't you all thinking like, wow, that's going to be weird. I don't know. Maybe it's because I've maintained some social interactions to maintain my sanity. That was the dice I rolled. I had sort of a fluctuating pod of people that I had to trust after a certain point. Not many people. But I got invited to a surprise party for my friend Al's wife and everybody was pretty much vaxxed. So I got there and they didn't even have masks around their neck. And I was like, wow, what's happening? Is we are we just doing this? Are we just taking them? You vaxed? You're vaxxed? You're vaxxed? We do are we doing it? I'm just gonna take the mask off. We're gonna hang we're gonna hug. Really? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. And I took it off and we hugged and we said hi. I met their kid and then a bunch of other people came and they came with their kids. All the teenagers kept their masks on, and my friend Kevin did too, because he's only half-vaxxed. But the rest of us who were fully vaxxed just sat there and ate like human beings who weren't afraid, who didn't have to wear masks. Now, I don't know, if somebody, are you people out there going like, yeah, but I don't know if it was safe. I'm like, it was safe. We did it. I mean, that was a few days shy of my two weeks, but I felt pretty confident. And the weird thing is, is that it wasn't fucking weird. Within five minutes of being around people without masks, didn't even think about it. It's like riding a fucking bike, just talking and laughing a few feet away from people, across the table from people. There's not going to be some weird big adjustment. Everybody's sort of like, it's going to be weird. It's not weird. It's a fucking relief is what it is. There was like a, a buffet. People were walking. We were eating from a buffet among other people. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? I feel all right. But I, I here's what I'm here's what I guess I'm trying to tell you is that it's not weird. It's what it it's what it's supposed to be. And it comes right fucking back to you. And it's beautiful. So. This verdict came down a couple of days ago in the Chauvin trial, and it's it's. It's wild to know you think a certain way or that you believe a certain way and that you want something in your mind and that you're angry about something in, in terms of the way the world is or, or people or politics or culture or, or how people are treated. Like you have beliefs, but you don't always know exactly how deeply you feel until something truly amazing happens. And it's sad that it's we live in a country where it's like miraculous that a police officer is properly prosecuted for murder. It's rare to the point where you feel powerless and ashamed. But my point is that when I heard, not unlike many of you, that the verdict was coming down, you really wanted to be there for it. You wanted to be... You wanted to bear witness. And what was interesting to me in terms of remembering where you are for certain events, cathartic events, tragic events, sort of reality changing events. But we didn't know how this was going to go. As a country, and a lot was hanging in the balance. It's sort of like that thing. Of Biden being elected president, who knows I can't even imagine. I shudder to think where we would be if that election went the other way. i i I can't imagine it. It would be over. Waiting for this verdict, it was like terrible that we live in a place where it's like, we this is really up in the air. But Robert Smigel was coming over here to do an interview that day. And the plan was to do it at, uh, you know, two o'clock and he's coming over and that's when they're going to drop the verdict. That's when we're, everyone was waiting and watching. So he came over and he's like, what, what do we do this is about to happen? I'm like, well, we we will go in the den and we'll sit and we'll watch it. Now, I don't know Robert that well, but I know him. We've met on several occasions over the years. But uh, there we were. He'd come over to do the the show and we're sitting on my couch waiting for this verdict to be read. And I'm like, you know, this really needs to go the correct way. And they read those verdicts. All of them. Correct. And we were kind of weeping. Choked up. Holding back tears. Trying to talk. Just... Hands, face in hands, thank God. And that well of emotion that comes up, like you don't even know how attached you are to something righteous, something correct, something culturally important, something that happens that is a, a signifier of possibility in the, in the correct direction um, you don't know how attached. You think like well I'm angry. I'm I'm I I think about this stuff all the time. I'm it's up in my head, but to feel like uncontrollable, overwhelming emotion upon the reading of those charges and those verdicts it means a lot to the possibility of this nation moving forward maybe. Look, it's amazing that it happened. But what happens next, I guess, is really it's really going to inform where we go as a country. But two weeping middle-aged men on a couch who then had to go in and talk about puppets. I know exactly where I was that when that verdict was read. And I'll remember that. John Waters, get excited. This was great. He was in, he was into it. We you know we, he was connected and he was engaged and it was exciting because John Waters is fucking exciting. His new spoken word track "Prayer to Pasolini" uh, can be found on all digital music services. There's also a seven inch vinyl version available to Sub Pop singles club subscribers. And again, uh, you guys, we had this talk back in February, so this was before we were all vaxxed. Dig, okay, dig me and John Waters. <laughs>
1: really i have three fake backgrounds but this is a real one this is my studio and this is all fan art that people have sent me
0: oh yeah i've got most of my fan art in the house now and i haven't really cluttered this uh environment yet i don't know if i'm going to (laughs) have you ever tried it without clutter john
1: no, I'm not a minimalist. I like minimalist art, but it doesn't look good in my house because I, I have, I'm i a maximalist. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, do you feel like I'm finding as I get older that I... Uh... I I sit with things and I wonder if I'm still attached to them.
1: Yeah, but I don't have anything about my career in my house at all. Oh, okay. In my office I do, but no, I I have art I collect and books and all, but I don't have anything about my career.
0: And does it, but does it mean, does it all mean something to you? you, I have books where I'm like, I'm going to get to that and it's been 40 years.
1: I do have a (laughs) section of books to read, but still when I look through it, I, oh that one I'm gonna yeah, I don't mind them. You know? I'm they're comforted by
0: them. I, I went through them recently. I'm in the process of, of alphabetizing them right now because I moved and I and I, I don't even if I don't read them, I've been looking at that spine of that book exactly for, for 40 yeah. years. Yeah. It's crazy. See, I, have, wow. well,
1: I have about 11,000 books and I have them all on the computer. If what edition, what format, if they're autographed. Oh everything. wow And I've done that from the very beginning which, but they're not in, I can find all my books, but they're in three different place, three different homes. So um, I, I sort of know where they all are now, but it's gotten foggier. That's
0: a lot. And you, and you did the cataloging. Is it? No, you...
1: my, I, I started doing it. My niece did it. I gave her a job once maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. And then now every time I get a book, I give it, my office puts it in, you know, so it's a r- running thing. You're caught up. Yeah.
0: And, you know, because I was, for some reason, I pulled out, did you ever read any of that Wilhelm Reich stuff? The, well, the...
1: Kind of, I was a Freud guy more. You know, I read all of Freud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, sure. And my shrink told me that was the worst thing he ever wanted to hear. He, they hate it when you've already read Freud. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that, I think Reich was a Freud guy, too. He just went off reservation. He. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He was... He got... <laughs> Like Martin Luther.
0: Yeah, yeah. He got hung up on the orgone energy and tried to yeah, change yeah. the weather with the
1: vibe. Yeah, I, I never went in one of those boxes. <laughs> Did you know any? You must have known someone with an orgone box. Well, in, William Burroughs. Sure. Sure. He had one. He was radically into that, and I did know him. So he, but I never went in. He did, I do I was in his apartment, but I don't remember if there was one sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He.
0: Uh, did, when did you? When were you friends with him? What chunk of time? I was
1: friends with him uh, in the punk years when he was very. He was the one that called me the Pope of Trash. He's the one that gave me that blurb for one of my books.
0: Oh, when he was in New York.
1: Yeah, and I went into the place in New York, and I met him in the new york thing and then i met him also when he was in lawrence kansas i knew him later because i knew him from then on yeah
0: yeah he was uh he was a very funny guy i did you find uh were you at all influenced by him early on or you just yes became... oh, of
1: course yes junkie are you kidding um <laughs> yes when i read that in high school i was obsessed by it yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i have all his books yeah Now, to read them today, (laughs) they're harder to read today than they were when you were young.
0: No, for sure, the a cut, lot of them. The
1: cut-up method leaves me wanting him to put it back in order.
0: Sure, exactly. What were they trying to say, really? You know, what, before you made a mess of this, what were, what were they trying to say?
1: But those early ones, I mean, in the Wild Boys and all of them. Sorry, I read all of them. When
0: yeah, I was it, but he was also, like, hilarious. I mean, I don't think people give him yeah, enough credit yeah, for being, like, a comedian. I mean, he was, like, a vaudevillian. He had shtick. He had bits. He had yeah. things he, over and over. And he
1: always looked like he was 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Even when he was 20, if you see pictures of him, he still wore like a banker suit. And yeah, he always looked very old.
0: I was trying to figure out because I was watching. Uh, I, wa- I was. Can I watching, just asked you one
1: thing. Yes. Are we doing this now?
0: Yeah, it's happening.
1: Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> just want to make sure. It works.
0: I think it sounds pretty good. I, I, I mean, yeah. yeah uh,
1: okay. I just want I didn't know if we, there was a start. That's fine.
0: No, no. I just start talking. Okay. <laughs> and it's you know it's all sound. But uh, I was wondering, because I was watching last night, I was catching up on some things that you'd done in the past, and you know, S. Clay Wilson just died a few days ago. I know,
1: I, I loved him.
0: I, I was gonna ask you, like there seems to be, like there was a time there in the late 60s to when you started making movies that was sort of like the filth explosion, and-
1: Well, he had like cum fix. I remember yeah. that one. That yeah, when people were shooting up cum, which is <laughs> even today fairly shocking. But uh, what what when I he was with all the Zap comics, you know, and I have I have every one of those early ones, you know, and I'm so happy that R. crumb now well deservedly has an incredible career in the fine arts world, which he deserves. He really does deserve.
0: Well, he's another one, another filth genius like you, like uh, the brain benders, you know, the envelope (laughs) pushers, you know, I, I think my question was sort of around the idea of like. Now was that in re- how do? why do you think that all happened seemingly within in a 2 year range was it a reaction to to the hippies was it a reaction to the beats was it just a reaction to the idea it of censorship was a reaction
1: to what was left of censorship yes uh-huh. and basically everything fell in the 60s you know so uh, i mean 1969 was probably the most insane year of this century i believe it still be, will be when it's over maybe and and that's when everything fell apart when people had sex every night with a different person when they thought the revolution was happening when gay straight everything got crazy women took over it was when it was the closest to anarchy so that kind of humor Today, S. Clay Wilson could never come out. He was so politically incorrect. And if you look at R. Crumb, some of them, they're all, I think he's a great, great genius. But sure. today, he since the, the difference today is, as we know, liberals are the censors now. And I'm a liberal. Believe me, I'm not saying it. But I fear liberals censorship today more than conservative censorship because conservatives don't care about me. I'm a lost cause.
0: Right. Well, but I mean, it seemed like at the time, because I know like when you were first making movies and even if the, even the shorter films, the more experimental films, if you wanted to show them, every state had a censorship board that was going to, you know, decide what could be shown on a screen.
1: Correct? Well, we were the last one. Maryland was the last one. Right up to Desperate Living was the last one. So That's 78. So that was quite a so, while.
0: So on some sense, this was government and church sanctioned censorship, which is different yeah. than what is happening now. Right. Because no, it isn't.
1: We have the Motion Picture Association of America. They're the liberal version of the same thing. If you get an NC-17 rating, theaters are not allowed to let anybody in under 17.
0: So in your in, in the best of all worlds, anyone could go see anything.
1: Yes. <laughs> when I. Yes. Yeah. When I believe when I read if if a child goes in a library yeah. and asks for naked lunch at sure. nine years old yeah he's heard of it if yeah. he's heard of it he deserves to be able to read it
0: i guess we all because i i mean i i'm a little younger than you but i grew up looking at all this stuff and it really defined it designed my brain
1: so i mean just, yeah. grove yeah. press i grove press saved my life grove press showed me a whole other world introduced me to everything that changed grove press you know, was the ultimate defier of everything I was taught in school and by my parents. Do you remember which book, which moment? Sure. Jeanne. He's the one that got me the best. No, the Marquis de Sade, the 120 Days of Sodom. I remember reading that and thinking, oh, my (laughs) God, it's still pretty shocking. (laughs) Yeah, I even have. I will tell you one thing i have a thing it must be pretty rare yeah it's the 120 days of sodom read by a really good theatrical group on six albums right yeah and you played it and it's the entire thing it's so <laughs> shocking and it's on the <laughs> say disc label yeah <laughs>
0: it's pretty good so you've got a lot of records too
1: yeah yeah but well, got- now i have cds i don't buy i i'm too old I, I didn't get it all out and start over on vinyl did you
0: I, yeah, I've gone to uh, I've gone back to vinyl, and I have more than I ever had. And I like looking at them. I like having them, but they will eat up the house. They, they'll take... I
1: have all the records and I like. They're not worth anything because they're in bad condition because I played them all. But sure. I love all the covers. I have all the original albums. That yes, I have, but I rebought many of them on CDs later.
0: Sure. So yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and, and digital is a way to go unless you, you know, you get. A, I don't know. I I think it's it's some part of my age where you because I, I thought like I'm going to be the only one going back to vinyl, then all of a sudden everyone goes back to vinyl, and then I feel like a nostalgic the idiot. The kids went
1: back. The kids went back to buy them. I don't think my age did that much. No. And I hate now buy streaming because I wanna own I want CDs. They don't even have them really anymore. I still buy CDs though. I want the packaging. I want the some streaming is not gonna be collector's item in twenty years.
0: You wanna hold it? Yeah. So, like, let me go back to the past a little bit more. Like, so when you were growing up in Baltimore, your your generation still saw sort of what was left of the beatniks, right? You saw the hippies happen.
1: Yeah, but I wanted to be a beatnik. That's the first thing I ever wanted to be. Right. Was a beatnik. And I read about them in Life magazine. And that's when I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, this is what I want. And I went down. Uh, there was a beatnik bar in Baltimore called Mardix that I yeah. was at the very end with. And Malcolm Soule, who was the star of my first movie, was the barmaid. And she was in Life Magazine as the ultimate beatnik. And she was Dave Von Ronk's girlfriend who supposedly they had sex in the Buffalo pits of the Baltimore Zoo. Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's a, I don't know if that's true. I have chosen to believe that my whole life.
0: It's such a, it's such a specific story with a specific yeah. audience. Like, I wonder yeah. how many people are listening going, Oh my God, Dave on wrong. Really? But
1: you know, who he is.
0: Right? I do. Yeah. But you're
1: right. It,
0: it's, I know. <laughs> so that I'm going to drop a name, I'm
1: going to yeah. drop an
0: obscure one. <laughs> So, that, so, but because like I don't see you as a hippie. I don't see you as an old hippie. We made fun of the hippies. Right. Because like it but seemed I
1: was one. I had long hair, but I was a yippie, you know, right. and we made fun of hippies. So
0: you were more of a prankster. Right.
1: Yeah. And Devine and I used to go in San Francisco and dump meat on the steps of other communes and stuff. So, yeah. But yet, <laughs> You dumped meat. Yeah, yeah, because they were (laughs) rad, radical vegetarians. But
0: so, but that's interesting to me because the pushback, because you can feel that that there was something about the kind of virtue uh, uh, and righteousness of what the hippies represented that I felt would just annoy the shit out of you.
1: It did. I mean, Divine was thought up to scare hippies. (laughs) But our audience was hippies that wanted to be scared. And they turned out to be punks or criminals,
0: <laughs> right? So, but there was a there was definitely a, a break that see because that's what I sort of see that there were there were the hippies that got stayed and were you know vegetarian and righteous and and farming and whatever. But then as the sixties moved on, the evil hippies came out, and then like speed saturated the brains of the masses and, and the
1: Weathermen, yeah. yeah, and the Weathermen, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's I was a Weatherman hag. I wasn't a Weatherman. <laughs> but
0: i liked them and i hung around
1: them. i thought they were cute basically
0: and and manson changed everything too
1: oh that's a subject i have to be very careful about because i work very hard well i believe in the parole for one of them that has been paroled five times leslie van houten and they keep not letting her out and i think she should be let out so i, I have to be very careful when i talk about that subject
0: well i oh, 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 well i mean i'm just saying as a cultural shift that uh,
1: oh, yeah. the, the
0: event that, of it.
1: That was 1969 too. Right. <laughs> w- Woodstock. I didn't go to Woodstock. I wanted to go to Altamont. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. The devil stuff, the evil hippie, yeah. the, like the pushy envelope just for uh hedonism.
1: Right. I mean, I made multiple maniacs in 1968. There could not be a movie that is less peace and love than that movie. But that was the point to scare hippies and they liked being scared. That was the thing that, worked
0: they appreciated the uh the transgression because they had to well i think that's the nature of of pushing up against censorship is that if you create a transgression just for the nature of it it has to be respected and, and people have to go along with it if they believe in what you're doing
1: but then there's a whole set of new rules like like today where there's so many rules yeah. of what you can do within the liberal community that it's sort of fun to break them too but these days it's, it's definitely more of a cliff you can fall over and be canceled in one day
0: for sure and, and we can talk about that in, in a minute it's just it's just i like the sort of i i've always tried to wrap my brain around the kind of you know i guess it would be nihilistic intent of of creativity just in gore and sex and filth because it doesn't need to have it doesn't need to be a satire of anything to just it can just be. And I guess some part of my brain is hard to uh, to wrap my brain around that.
1: Yes, but you're all you're forgetting the one word that went with all them humor. Yeah. And, and that was the thing. It's easy to be disgusting. It's easy to be obscene. It's e- but it's not easy to be witty about it. And that's what we tried to do. Use that. I learned that word shock value in private grade school as a term in writing where you say something to get people's attention. Yeah. And once you have their attention, then you uh, argue your point so they'll listen. I've, I paid too close attention to that English class. That yeah. I devoted my life to that. But it does work. You can only change people's mind if you make them laugh. They'll stop and listen.
0: And that's what and that's why the hippies liked it.
1: Yes. Um, No. And because I was breaking a new set of rules and they were getting sick of them, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Suddenly the the hippie rules, the hippie world had more rules than our parents did before we escaped that. Really? Like, what do you, how do you see that? Oh, Michael. you couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. You had to, you know, it had to be natural. You had to everything. You couldn't eat meat. You had to have long hair. You had to, there was just so many right, rules right. of what you could do. And all this kind of Eastern religion stuff, which I rolled my eyes at, you know, <laughs> I <it was> just, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I wasn't a Harry Krishna fan and I, and, you know, going to be in's Oh, God, we made fun of that. Beans were. No no
0: meditating for you, John?
1: No, (laughs) no. And I'm not against people doing that, but don't be so public about it. And and don't try to shame me because I I don't care what people do. I just hate when they try (laughs) to make other people do it.
0: Now, in terms of like, you know, the impact, when did you start feeling you had an impact? Like the hippie thing is one thing, the beatnik thing is one thing, but when did you see the gay community start to coalesce as a social force in in, in terms of your work as well? Well, I
1: remember the gay audience that came to me were like me, they didn't fit in the gay world either. I right. remember the first time I went in a gay <laughs> bar, I thought I might be queer, but I ain't this. <laughs> it was so square. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. It was a bar called the Chicken Hut. Yeah, and they had tables, (laughs) had phones on every table, and you rang the phone ring. Hi, table three would like to buy you a drink. I thought, oh my god. (laughs) So you know, (laughs) but at the same time. I remember going to riots at Yale University for Bobby Seal and seeing gay rights come out for the first time and the left wing was shocked. The left wing straight men didn't know how to do it and it was the good lesbians at Rat Magazine that took over and brought gay liberation in. So that was exciting to see. Really? So I didn't know was about probably that. Probably early 70s really.
0: Rat Magazine. I don't know that that, that chunk Rat of it. Rat was
1: a feminist journal.
0: And that's what sort of uh, uh, co- well, the,
1: the lesbians took over the left wing world before gay men could.
0: Interesting, why do you think that
1: was? Well, because feminism was uh, they were all married to them, <laughs> <It's not like laughs> all the straight guys' girlfriends were slum goddesses, they used to call them. Remember that? Uh, I know that was covers of hippie girls with armpit hair and everything. oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, 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 slum goddesses. I always love that. That's, yeah, that's so a good one. I, I always liked radical lesbians, you know, and, and I liked the work, the most crazy ones I found hilarious, like Andrea Dworkin. I'm still a fan of hers. I just read the biography of her.
0: You did. I, re- I remember reading that book, that piece she wrote about, about men and all <laughs> acts of sex being rape. I was sort of fascinated with her too. Well, I, I, too. I
1: Well, maybe she, and she said all oh, penetration is rape, right? But in a way well, she claims she didn't see that, but the best thing about her was, is that she was straight she wasn't gay but yeah. she wanted to be so desperately that she married the most feminine straight man ever yeah. and i can't imagine their sex <laughs> it must have been how do two bottoms on the wrong side have sex i don't know back to back i don't know <laughs> i don't know did you know her no, I didn't know her, but I'm a fan for the wrong reasons, maybe. <laughs> but I, I liked, oh, I like Kate Millett. I liked uh, Ty Grace Atkinson, you know, yeah. all those feminists I read. Yeah. And and I I still like them, even if I don't agree with them.
0: It seems like a lot of the, some of the early experimental film stuff was gay driven. Is that, and not just you. I mean, it seemed like. Certainly that,
1: Kenneth Anger, yeah. Jack Smith, Warhol, definitely was Kuchar brothers. That was one part of the underground scene. Then the which I liked and was a huge influence on me, but they were all a little older than me. So uh-huh. I read about them through Jonas Mikas and Film Culture Magazine when right. I was a teenage teenager in Baltimore. But the other ones were straight guys that made arty experimental movies, which yeah. I never liked that much. Now I like them. When I see them now. Like who? Like Ken Jacobs? Yeah, yeah, all of them. Stan Vanderbeek, Ed M. Schwiller, all of them. I like them now way more than I did then. Okay. Because I just wanted the sex parts and the good stuff. You, you want to, yeah, and feel it. No one ever called me. You said it when I made experimental movies, I didn't make experimental <laughs> movies. That, that to me is color jumping around. And avant-garde, that always meant to me, oh God, is this gonna be a bore? You know? <laughs> I tried to make commercial underground movies is what I guess I tried to do.
0: <laughs> color jumping around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's what they were. I know, I know, I know. So you, wow, you... <laughs> and I was on LSD too. You'd think I'd like it.
0: <laughs> so, so you in your in your mind, you were watching like Russ Myers and Herschel Gordon Lewis. That's later,
1: and... that's a little later. Oh, it is underground movies were mid-60s, yeah.
0: But what was driving you? What, if you thought that you were making movies that you could sell or that you were going to be a- a-
1: appealing to people and not, not art yeah. movies, what was your model? Well, three models. The underground movies that we just talked about, yeah. The foreign movies at the time with Bergman, those were the films that broke all the censorship laws in one. But at the same time, the nudie movies, the exploitation movies that Baltimore specialized in. I went to nudist camp movies. I, I followed it all. Well, first you got to see a woman's ass, then yeah. her tits, yeah. then her vagina, then a yeah. the men's ass, then a men's dick, yeah. and then fucking. Yeah. That was the... The history of how the barriers fell. Can you make I lived a... through everyone. I You're... saw so many bad nudist camp movies to see one male ass. <laughs> I'd like to see that timeline. I had to look at a thousand woman's tits playing volleyball <laughs> to see one man's ass. Was it worth it, John? Was it worth yeah. the
0: wait? It was. <laughs> so that was the evolution. And then, like when you first started. Cause like I was watching Hairspray. I, I, I watched a bit of it again last night and then I watched some of the, uh, of um, pink flamingos and just in, in really it's interesting to me how there's something amazingly liberating about your sense of the female body. I mean like the, the way it, it's kind of amazing to me.
1: Well, I think both at the time nowadays, a fat girl. That's and you're not supposed to say fat anymore. We used to say an an ample woman. Yeah. Um. A, a big girl is normal now. That they have, nobody gives fat girls trouble anymore. They'll kick your ass. Yeah. But then, first of all, no drag queens were fat. Right. And if they were, they didn't wear see through outfits and carry a chainsaw. Right. Like Divine did. Yeah. And in in hairspray, never was the heroine of a movie the fat girl who got the guy. Yeah. The that, yeah. And so. That's why it worked. I don't think pink flamingos and the hairspray are that different and alone. The, the moral of the movie is the same. Well, like you,
0: like you said, you created uh, you and Divine created Divine to to scare hippies, but uh, yeah. but it, but it also sort of redefined the 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 sort of the sense of sexuality of drag, didn't it, or invented oh, completely. something? I
1: think whatever Divine and. Info- when I was young around the time, drag queens were really square. They won they won Miss America contests. They dressed like their mother. They won yeah. a fur coat. Divine wanted to be Godzilla. Divine yeah. didn't want to be a woman. But <laughs> well, then she was, Divine was, wanted she... to walk through cities stomping shopping centers. I think he even says that in multiple mania. <laughs> uh so and and the other drag queens hated Divine. When he would go to drag events, they would get really pissed off because they thought he was. He was making fun of them and he was he was making fun of that whole scene of being so serious about it and trying to imitate the worst of women <laughs> hey kind <God, laughs> of the most unliberated woman <laughs> where where divine was beyond divine didn't was not trans divine never walked around dressed as a woman he didn't want to be a woman yeah he he <laughs> at the end of his career he was playing men's parts yeah uh, so it wasn't like Devine was trapped in the wrong body I think Divine was a feminine gay man, but he was proud to say he was a drag queen. He was an actor. Yeah. And uh he played a man, women, he would have played the dog in Pink Flamingoes if I'd let him. But
0: I think I, I think it, it, to, to the way you guys both work together and in different ways, the way where you were able to push a personal vision in film to create the space that you created for a lot of other filmmakers to go like, well shit, you know, that's the edge. I can work within that. If John went that far, I have freedom to do whatever i think that divine also did it for drag i mean it seems that sure like there's did, yeah. n- no rupaul no rupaul's drag race without divine really. let me
1: tell you though rupaul's been all around almost as long as i have because i remember him from long long ago in atlanta he's been hard working just as hard as we all have forever and deserves every bit of success no i love him had. yeah no but the reason one of the main reasons that I believe RuPaul is successful as he is successful. He has a great look out of drag, and most drag queens, including Divine, did not. Uh huh. Because he's as comfortable. He won't go in drag unless he's working. Neither would Divine at the end. Oh yeah. Because they just want you to show up and be like Clarabelle or something, you know. If <laughs> Divine looked like Clarabelle, he was an influence on us. I was on the Howdy Doody show. I saw Clarabelle in person from the Peanut Gallery.
0: Did that change your life?
1: Yeah, Clarabelle's a big fashion influence on me, and Flubadub <laughs> too. That was the other character on there. That's an obscure name to drop.
0: Flubadub was that a local personality in Baltimore? No, that
1: was a character on Howdy Doody.
0: Really, Flubadub? It was an
1: animal that looked like Comde dressed him. If you look at it now, <laughs> it was a fashion leader.
0: So it's funny you're the third I think the third director I've talked to from from Baltimore. I talked to to Levinson a few weeks ago. Yeah. I talked to David Simon uh, a couple yeah. years ago. But I was thinking you know, about-
1: I married David Simon and his wife. I was the Ordained minister that did it, and I never told that story. So until Laura told it on television, because it what was it, a secret.
0: Oh yeah, well, uh, how did your are you ordained in the Universalist yeah, yeah, Church?
1: Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah.
0: Are you got are oh, old
1: friends of uh, David's? Well, I'm friendly with him certainly, and I met Barry too, and I like I like them both. I think they're in great great filmmakers. And uh, the other one here is Ann Tyler, the other person from. Baltimore, oh yeah, because I, th- I think,
0: is, is I think Tin Man is Tin Man is sort of the same kind of world that you were
1: depicting at some Certainly. point. Yeah, he makes movies about weird parts of Baltimore too. So does David. Yeah, we all make movies about weird little parts of Baltimore. And yes,
0: you love absolutely. Baltimore.
1: I do. I still live here. Yes. You're there now. I am.
0: I have no sense of Baltimore. I, I maybe I should get a sense of Baltimore.
1: Well, it's <laughs> you know. I never understand why people move here, but I really like it. <laughs> uh, if you can understand what I mean. Um, I, and I go away a lot. I used to, I don't now because of what the virus. Did was. you
0: get vaccine?
1: Not yet. Because well, that's a whole other long story because I'm getting it. But, yeah. uh, first you had to be 75 and I'm not 75 till April. And then they changed the law. And now that they've changed it to 65, you can't get an appointment and I don't have health issues <laughs> or anything. so I'll get it. I'll get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm certainly for it. You
0: know? Yeah, sure, uh, of course. I
1: get ten of them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: just, just in the my sh- forehead. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you quit smoking?
1: Oh yeah, I haven't had a cigarette in. I write it down every single day of my life. I have not had a cigarette in six thousand six hundred and sixteen days.
0: Wow. So, but it's and it seems like you must make yourself think about it every day.
1: No, I just don't want to ever write one again. No, I see people smoking now in the corner and think, oh, it's the only thing in my life I regret. I used to smoke five packs a day.
0: I know. I was talking to my producer. He pulled up that ad that you did, to not smoke in the theater.
1: I don't regret that. No, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But I regret smoking that cigarette.
0: I know. I smoked a lot. Because when I was young. Yeah.
1: They said that smoking menthol, doctors recommended it when you had a cold. Why aren't they in prison? <laughs> yeah. yeah I that's,
0: a good, that's a good question about a lot of people that did those things. Yeah. You know, the yeah. the people that, were, that sold themselves out knowing better.
1: And my parents, who were very, very straight and not at all radical, they smoked. And nobody thought it was wrong. When you were 16, you were allowed to smoke. And I used to get in my Easter basket a carton of cool surrounded by jelly beans. Come on. I swear to God, I how old? If you, sixteen. You were smoked. They let you smoke at sixteen, your folks. In my Catholic high school, we had a smoking area in ninth grade.
0: We uh, we had one in my high school too. I think it was just because they knew they couldn't stop you and they wanted to keep you in the school.
1: Can you imagine that? Yeah, a smoking class.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. Everybody was on the take with that company with that that product. I mean, it, they knew it was bad. I loved him. Of course, him.
1: they did. People were dying of cancer from it then too. So yeah. So how? What do you mean? Doctors recommend.
0: <laughs> I loved him though. I really loved him. I I was. I on, did
1: until the end. Until the end.
0: Well, I got I got on those nicotine lozenges, like you know, like uh, for for years. It was like a nicotine I, candy. Yeah,
1: I had them for a while. Finally, I had so many toothpicks is what I did that it was like a woodchuck lived in my house. You'd like walk around. <laughs> could follow like Gretel through the woods. You know, toothpicks everywhere. Yeah. But finally, what killed me, me is that I was coughing so much On the people would say, strangers would say, are you all right? And I remember the night I really did quit. I was in Washington at some fancy event. I was in Black Tie and I was going home on the train. Yeah. And I'm on the street wanting a cigarette. And I go over to a homeless person yeah. and say, can I have a cigarette? And she said, Well, you want a sip of my soda too? <laughs> and I was so embarrassed <laughs> that I quit. You want a sip of my soda too? <laughs>
0: Wait, let me ask you about like I I had a minor obsession with um with uh Edie Massey. Like I what what when you were doing those movies, I know it was early on and you were kind of in that whole uh what was it? Uh, the Dreamlanders, that whole crew were kind of, you know, you know we
1: never called ourselves that. that. That was way later. That term came out. Well, I don't mind it, but we never called ourselves up. Who, who made that Go name ahead. up? The press kind of.
0: Oh, but uh, but that, you know, you what was it about? Was it the authenticity of people who were, you know, couldn't help but be who they were that
1: compelled you to use them? Usually I wouldn't like that. But with Edith, I only like can because she was an outsider actress uh, she worked in this bar called Pete's Hotel. That was a wino bar that we yeah. went to. And, and she played herself in that movie and people liked her. So just like Hollywood, she got bigger and bigger parts. Uh, Edith was, and she had a hard time memorizing her lines or everything, but she... People loved her, and even Andy Warhol when he met her, he said, "Where did you find her?" And and she was a star; she really was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people loved her. She was a kind, sweet lady, and uh, my audiences just loved her right yeah. from the beginning. And I gave her bigger and bigger parts, and I loved her too. That's why in the one book I wrote, Carsick, that had the fictitious parts, I write a whole chapter where I run into her again, and she's alive because I had that recurring dream. And oh, what really? Was like today? Yeah.
0: Was she was she nice?
1: Oh, so nice. Unless if she had one drink, she was mean. But I only saw her have one drink twice in my life.
0: Oh, really? Like m- yeah. mean, Like mean? Mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. She turned into a... What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow.
0: And it seems like Divine, like uh, Glenn, that was his name, right?
1: Yeah, but I never called him Glenn since 1965. I don't think... I always called him Divine. His friends called him Divvy. I never called him that either. I just called him Divine.
0: But you guys kind of grew up together.
1: We met and when we were 17, and uh his parents moved up the street from my parents so yes
0: it feels like he like he he, he died so young i mean what it, what did he have a heart attack or what happened
1: yeah from being too fat and basically he had narcolepsy what's it called narcolepsy or he has that one where you he sleeps and he had to sleep up like sitting up like buddha he'd be like Wah. and i go on tv shows with him and he would fall asleep on television I go, hit him when we're on talk shows <laughs> And on airplanes i wouldn't sit with him because people would see him coming on and think oh my god please don't be sitting next to me and then he'd sit down and in one second he would fall asleep and And people would look they couldn't (laughs) believe it and i said i'm not sitting up there i'd sit and coach rather than go through it
0: (laughs) well i'm sorry you lost your friend so young you know yeah
1: i'm still shocked he's dead 42 years old, he died. That's younger than my friend's children today.
0: And it feels like he was just starting to, you guys, he was really starting to even come more into his own, it seems. At Are that you time. kidding?
1: The next day after he died, he was supposed to shoot Married with Children for the first time, playing a male gay character, the uncle, that would have been a first for network television, maybe, and certainly probably would have worked. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah life and fair no it, it definitely isn't it, it, it definitely there's no such thing as karma believe me
0: no it's not there's no karma and there's no fair and you know it's <laughs> just know. you know it's just fucking you got to accept
1: that though.
0: <laughs> it's hard right yeah because you, you want to put meaning on things but you know it's just sort of and it happens to everybody man yeah yeah you know it you know tragedy happens to everybody
1: joy joy williams she wrote the past she said in one of her novels the dead forget you quickly (laughs) Oh. oh isn't that such a sentence yeah it's really
0: good man um so, like, uh, what was your relationship with Warhol? Though was it did was he helpful and influence a friend? What
1: I, I was a big influence certainly, but I was younger, so I went to see all those movies. When oh, you they did? came did. The really early ones, yeah. And I n- went to Max's, and I knew Candy, some of the people, but I didn't really meet him until Pink Flamingos came out. And Fran Leibowitz and Glenn O'Brien, who was the editor of uh, Interview at the time, set up the meeting where Andy's crowd met my crowd because uh-huh. Andy had been shot. He didn't want to meet another new pack of lunatics. No, thanks. So we (laughs) went there and divine and Candy Darling met. It was like a summer meeting, right? Yeah. And Andy hid in the closet and watched the movie. And at the end came out and took me in the back and said, why don't you make the same movie again? And then offered to pay for my next movie. And which was incredibly lovely, but I didn't because it would have been Andy Warhol's female trouble. Right. But it was incredibly generous of him. He told Fellini to go see my movies. He put Divine on the cover. So he was always very, very supportive. And I, in my last book, really write a whole chapter where I stick up for him because I'm tired of seeing him these days being painted as a villain. And everybody else said it was my D and I did everything and I had sex with him and everything. So all these things they would have never dared say when he was alive. They have, they're bolder and bolder about saying as he goes away where nobody can fact check
0: it. I mean, how are they painting Warhol? Who's come? Who, what are they saying about him?
1: I'm not going to name names because I like some of them. Some of them I know uh basically telling embarrassing sexual stories about oh, later okay. in life uh why don't you say that when he was alive or saying that they thought it up and andy was a didn't know anything or thing oh he stole not it true. right we right, wouldn't right. have and without andy none of them would we have heard of so uh andy was a brand he did the branding before anybody not really but walt disney did it but uh but he certainly um the fact that he was there he produced it he put his touch on it was was why people went to see it and it it was a brand name that attracted people to come see and he broke so many rules and changed so many things that are lasting to this day
0: yeah he like he mainstreamed the underground in a way
1: Certainly he did. And uh, he even made that term come up. The only person that did everything he did before is Duchamp. Duchamp did everything before anybody. Not one thing didn't he do first. And boy, who, who shot all, a
0: lot of his movies? Paul Morrissey, right? Didn't he That's do-
1: later. And I like Paul. And Paul made some great movies. And at the point, they were Paul movies, but they yeah. were produced by Andy.
0: Right, right, right. So he, he definitely he definitely and had- his him.
1: name was on him, yeah.
0: Right, right. And you were friends with him till, uh, till he died-ish?
1: I was would... friends. I mean, I went to events with him. I did I ever call up Andy to gossip? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did. With Bridget was my friend who just died. Bridget and, but, who? But I Berlin who oh. was Andy's best friend. Really. Okay. And uh, but Andy, I would see at events and everything. But no, I was not in his inner circle. I knew him professionally.
0: Now, after like, I I didn't realize really until I did a little research that you know at the time or shortly after Pink Flamingos came out porn movies were mainstreamed as well
1: it was right at the time basically deep throat had come out and it was about ready to happen i think the first porn movie that was really legal was something called pornography in denmark that showed penetration and then the movie mona that was before deep throat uh-huh. mona i love that name of that movie but uh mona when it showed fucking basically yeah and uh and so yes yeah, so that's why I'm putting this in hindsight, but in a way it's true. Why we had the eating shit scene, because what was left that you couldn't do that there isn't a law against. And at the time there isn't. Today, there is a law against eating shit, but it's in the porn world because they mean human shit for sexual reasons. We ate shit for anarchy.
0: Right, so you ate, you had divine eat dog shit for anarchy. So there's still- Not sexual reasons.
1: Although in our life, People did come over to us and say, we're into that. And we really turned this on. And we'd run. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like, like the scat queens.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that, that scene that I've heard, uh, you know, that story about the guys who, who sort of went out to see Burroughs, the bikers that looked like they were from the Wild Boys, that like like almost like characters that he had created came to visit yeah. him. And they're just a moment of sort of like, I invented you. I mean, how is this happening? How are you yeah. real? Well,
1: I think Tom of Finland is the one that could really say that. That oh, what he yes, drew yes. became today, even you can see leather guys that look exactly like a Tom of Finland. I, he,
0: it seems like he created the whole leather look.
1: For, yeah, he did. Yeah, he's I, a great. And I went to Finland. You know, they put out a national stamp with him on it. Can oh, you did imagine they? this this government doing that?
0: <laughs> not, not for those reasons. I mean, they, they do it and then go <laughs> well, like, oh, we didn't know. That's the
1: only reason, Tom of well, Finland. How right. can you not know? You know?
0: Sure. Well, no, he's not Tom. known
1: for much else. <laughs> but I'm saying that this
0: country would put a uh, a gay man on a stamp and not realize he's gay. Not for being well, they had gay. Walt-
1: they had Walt Whitman on one. Yeah, yeah one, one of the great... I think Harvey Milk, they have one now, yeah. Do Who they? they should put on is Larry Kramer because without him, without his obnoxious theatrical politics, many of my friends would not be alive. He was something wave of AIDS. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I talked to Larry. He, he, he was fierce, man. He meant business. No fucking around with Larry. He should be on a
1: stamp. He should be on a stamp. I
0: think that's probably true. Why not? You should be on a stamp and all your characters. Edith Massey should be on a
1: stamp. (laughs) I want to be the, I want to be on the postage due label.
0: (laughs) Divine should be on a stamp.
1: (laughs) Well, I've had divine on a stamp. You know, you can divine your, do your own stamps and they, they just stopped doing that. The post office, but last two Christmas cards, Last one, I had a divine stamp on it that I created.
0: Well, so that's sort of interesting that, like, you know, once you hit the wall, once you had divine eat dog shit at the end of uh, Pink Flamingos, you, you realize that you had done everything you can, that the, the transgression was was complete. So so I didn't try to top it. So what did, did you did you conceive that you were going to go more mainstream was that an intention? I mean, I, could, I thought
1: that was mainstream in a weird way. Pink flamingos was mainstream. It played for three years in one theater at midnight. That's pretty mainstream, if you answer. But you
0: know, but I mean, like because like I watch Hairspray, and Hairspray is a beautiful, sort
1: of like heartwarming, you know, movie. I made Hairspray came later after, right. after that Pink I made. I made, no, I made a lot. I made Female Trouble, which is today probably the most popular Divine movie, but it was not a success at the time at all. Right. Then I made Desperate Living that didn't have Divine in it. And then I made Polyester, which was the first one. It was 35 millimeter. Yeah. It had Smell-O-Vision, all that. had Odorama. Right. And Hairspray, I didn't purposely say I'm going to write a commercial movie, but when I did know when we got a PG rating that I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the end of me. But, <laughs> and New, New Lime wanted me to put in the word shit. So we'd get a PG 13. I said, no, that's the shock value that it is PG. So I went with it
0: but let me ask you though like you know i i know all these other movies are, are close to your heart and that like you know i saw watch some footage of you directing you definitely are in it and mean business and you don't fuck around and you know no one's gonna you, you're this it was sort of surprising to me to know that like everything is scripted you didn't allow for much riffing no. at all
1: no that's why when i got the writers guild award which i did a liked which i was really and david simon presented to me i was one of the highlights of my life i hate actors that say first thing i do is throw away the script I'll Join the writers killed them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Oh wait a minute! I'd like to change the script. No, you're not. I wrote it. <laughs> Say the goddamn words. <laughs> but but it seemed we're to not me. your puppet, you know, John.
0: Yeah. You kind of are a puppet, yeah. And you liked puppets, didn't you? Oh
1: no, I love puppets. And yeah, I, you know, and, uh, and I don't think they're puppets. And if there is a time when we change the dialogue, that's during rehearsal. Fine, if something doesn't work. Right. But I, I think people usually say yes to a movie because they like the script, not because they want to rewrite it. If you want to rewrite it, join the writers' guild. Right. Not not screen actors' guild.
0: But with hairspray, it just strikes me that there's there's a, a type of heart in it. That is not it's not shocking. And I mean, I, I guess looking back, if you want to say that it having a PG rating, that is the shock. It is the shock to maybe a John Waters fan. But but the actual story uh, about integration, about, uh, you know, uh, the troubles of a of a large girl with a big heart. I mean, you know, and and then the transcendence and the happy ending. I mean, it's it's a very heartfelt thing to the point where they can make a. A family musical out of yeah. it, John. And but what
1: I- it was, was the only devious movie I ever made because it snuck into every middle class American home and preached same sex marriage, interracial dating. I've said before, even racist like hairspray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it snuck in because nobody realized that all those values were there. And I can't say I did that on purpose but in some ways it's the only movie cause it reached so far in the deep regular. I mean, they're doing that in, in high schools, like, right. uh, you know, me- men are playing women. They're interracial dating. That was impossible when I was young. I promise you.
0: Yeah. And it did. Do you remember it uh, affecting you deeply when you were young As something that was wrong.
1: What was wrong to me? The integration thing. Oh yeah. I was Tracy term, it's about me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was a gay man. So that's like a fat, it's another kind of outsider, right? But yeah, it it is a white savior movie. That's a negative thing to say these days, but I was white and, you know, I didn't grow up in the ghetto, but I did live in a city where George Wallace ran for president in, in, in the primary in Maryland. We had, I had no black people in my grade school and one in my whole junior high. So basically, and that's when the, marches happened. the amusement park the buddy dean show in real life what hairspray was based on went off the air because it didn't integrate not because it integrated right so it was a huge part of my life yes it was and so it's my memories of that period and that was you where'd you find ricky lake wasn't that her first thing she auditioned yeah she'd been in one other movie before but it was certainly her first one and uh i was very very lucky because she was tracy turnblood yeah and we're still great friends are you even though, though she's she blaming, oh she's blaming her hair loss on hairspray now which oh really' I give her trouble yes. <laughs> uh, which could be true um yes we're still good friends and she's a uh, uh, she's really a good actress yeah. and uh, she was in my other movies too yeah but um Ricky's a great sweetheart and a great great friend and she was a huge reason why that movie was successful I found the right star
0: yeah no, she's full of heart, full of you know, is like right when you look at her. it's crazy. yeah, I, I hadn't looked. I hadn't checked in with it in a long time. And was it like it was uh, Cecil B demented? was that sort of a biopic that
1: you wrote about yourself? No, because I wasn't in some ways i mean we we filmed like that jumping out of cars and doing things illegal but cecil b the minute had no humor about himself yeah, at right. all <laughs> yeah and i think i'm the opposite same way i wasn't pecker either because i wasn't naive i knew about the new york art world you know? right uh so uh there's bits of it that was but hopefully i was a little nicer and funnier than cecil b the minute because like all fascists, he he believed that he could do no wrong and you know, so in other words, I was he was more auto preminger to me.
0: Well you I uh, do you th- do you feel like despite the fact that you were sort of hard on uh actors in terms of the script that you were collaborative? Do you I mean because I Oh I don't
1: think I was hard. None of the actors ever objected to my scripts. Even Steven said to me, I usually change it around, but this is funny. Uh, <laughs> and yes, I was collaborative with him. I got along with all the people that I worked you with. Must you must have. Know? You and, got
0: him to do amazing things.
1: Yeah, but even all all the movie stars i work with at the, you know and i got along with kathleen turner great and i'm yeah. still friends with her uh so uh i was lucky yeah i collaborated with them they had they had good ideas and they also i knew who they were I, right. I i i knew that they would understand the humor i i could always tell i had a meeting with them if they said talked about their journey too much i knew it would never work <laughs>
0: <laughs> how about their love for storytelling
1: Oh no, the journey is the one that gets me.
0: <laughs> uh, so I listened to a, a, a prayer for for Pasolini.
1: Oh, you have it? Yeah, you're the first person I've talked about it with. Yeah. Um, now this is what what what's the history of this piece? Well, I'm a huge fan of Pasolini. His movies, yeah, I love him. He's what I pray to him basically. Anyway, so if there is. of the holy trinity he's one of them and so um, who are the other two well i guess maybe warhol and jean genet okay so if i'm praying that's my holy trinity but so i've always loved pasolini's movies i presented solo this year at the new york film festival on a drive-in which was amazing oh that's amazing uh, so i went to rome this year and i had i had heard that there was this monument where he was murdered by a hustler yeah and there is, but they always say, you can't get in. There's a lock. You have to climb over a fence. So we got there. There is a lock, but it's fake. It comes off. Uh-huh. And it's a well-maintained, beautiful park there. So we went there and we did some pictures and everything. And afterwards, I, I just wanted to do a prayer to Pasolini because mm. it was like a spiritual thing for me to go there. And I, I, with some humor, obviously, because it's a terrible thing that happened there. Terrible. But um, But I love that there is a, a hidden monument almost that you can go to and how many tourists a year go to that. I don't know. It's not easy to find. And it's, and it's, it's outside of Rome though. And so um, it was just to me, a travelogue of what it was like to go there and an actual prayer to Pasolini. So even if you do not believe in all the religions that we know a higher power can be a lot of things. Sure. And so maybe the memory of Pasolini is a higher power, and that's what I'm praying to.
0: And he had a, uh, you, you, his films and his being and his sense of what art was had a, an impact on you when you were younger.
1: Very much so. The movie Teorema, or, where this man just moves into a house and has sex with every one of them. The mother, the father, the child, the maid, and everything. And then they all go insane. What a great story. And it was Terrence Stamp. And uh, looking his best. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, and Solo, which is maybe right up there with Pink Flamingos as being one of the most shocking movies ever made. Only they ate shit too, but it was chocolate. Oh. And uh, th- that movie would cowards would never get made today. But it's an amazingly beautiful movie. So, um, and he w- said, "I was a Catholic, I'm a homosexual, and I'm a communist." You know, that's <laughs> a loaded sentence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I didn't realize that there was some, you know, controversy around uh, the the murder, his murder, in terms of.
1: Oh, some have said later that it was. Um, that it was set up by his enemies, political enemies, and the government and everything. I don't believe that. Mm. I believe he had a bad trick. Yeah, I
0: mean, that's how like, you played it in Everybody's prayer.
1: had a bad night. <laughs> that's
0: Yeah, uh, you said that to, yeah. That, well, I mean, that, I don't want to bring it up again, and we don't have to talk about it, but you said that to Letterman when he brought up, I, I imagine you were talking about Leslie. What did I say to him? When he brought up your friend in jail. You know, you, oh, you said, uh, who hasn't well, had a bad was, night?
1: Well, it was a very bad night, yeah. yeah. I probably wouldn't joke about that about that today, So, which I apologize for in Role Models when I wrote the chapter about her.
0: Okay, yeah. Are you still in touch or no? Yes. Oh, okay. uh, good.
1: So what do you... She th- was just granted parole for the fifth time, rightfully so, and each time whoever's governor won't let her out, which to me is a violation of the law she got seven years to life was her sentence and she's been in there for 50 years with perfect thing and the parole board that the governor uh appoints five times has said she should get out
0: why her out of the Manson girls for you well I mean
1: it's the one I know the one I the one I wrote about the one uh to me I I think they all, unfortunately, have the same story. If they hadn't met him, it would have never happened. Uh, Yeah. Be glad your kid never met him. Uh, Because I taught in jail before. I still visit people in jail. Yeah. Um, And so I believe in second chances. If you're really sorry and you paid a price of what you did, I I believe that people can do something really terrible when they're young and deserve a second chance when they're an old person. Yeah, I do believe that.
0: Well I mean it is that sort of the idea of you know w- is this about rehabilitation or is this just about you know
1: well nobody re- can revenge. say that she isn't rehabilitated She's exactly. is a danger to the community that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard
0: right of course so what do you think now like we've kind of you know danced around it a bit but are you concerned for the nature of of what what you you sort of categorize as, as the new censorship
1: Am I? We'll see. I'm writing a novel right now about a very disagreeable woman with some characters that are most definitely not politically correct. But aren't villains allowed to be politically incorrect? Right. I mean, imagine if sensitivity editors, that's a new term I've actually heard, Mm. which makes my blood run cold, had looked at pink flamingos. Right. I mean, so am I worried a little? But I've always somehow been able to walk that walk of of being able, and my spoken word show that I used to do 50 times a year, uh, I always went to that ledge of anything and made fun of even things that I believe in made fun of liberal beliefs just as much as conservatives. Right.
0: Well, I think a lot of what you were doing was, you know, sex and religion, and um, you know, bending sort of the nature of of what is you know morally acceptable and that kind of stuff. But it seems a lot of what some of the movement around language is really about respecting uh, gender roles and and respecting ethnicities. I, I, it seems to me that you know, staying away from words is not really that big a deal.
1: I believe it is because uh, I'm Bruce Wagner's my friend and he wrote a book recently. And I love love that guy. Very dark humor. His last book, a sensitivity turned him down. Ed said he could not call someone fat in the book.
0: Well, that's crazy.
1: Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I fear. His book didn't come out.
0: Well, I mean, that's but but that's different than using the N word.
1: Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Yeah, I guess it's I guess, you know, where does it end is the question is what you ask yourself. You know, what, you know, what is the line and, and how, who, who, how do you de- determine it for and, yourself?
1: And each, you know, and it is in a way, many of the ones I agree that are canceled, but look, I'm trying to help somebody get out of jail to committed a murder. So if somebody does one thing once and says one wrong thing, I don't know. Yeah. I feel hypocritical of canceling their entire career.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. But it is sort of, it is kind of wild. The difference between I, I guess sensitivity and
1: but but in order I, I'm I'm sorry I'm yes I'm for, not sorry Harvey Weinstein got canceled you right. know, I don't want you to think I'm like uh, or many of them no no I get it yeah. it happens so fast now so quickly but
0: I, I think we're we're just talking about like the the idea of art and the idea of language if we keep it in that realm you know that there is a sort of a a First Amendment trip and there is a censorship trip that you know that a lot of people like you fought hard to sort of release us from the bondage of that, from, from you know, institutional moralizing on behalf of the government and the law. And and in order for that to kind of still hold and for us to still believe that, I, and I still believe this is true, you have to have the freedom to speak as you will freely in, 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 the, in this country that gives us that freedom. But ultimately, what it comes down to is if you're going to say something and it's going to cause trouble, you're going to have to shoulder that burden and, you know, you got to decide your willingness.
1: Yes, but cause what kind of trouble? And a villain can't say racist things in a novel?
0: No, no. I, I definitely think they can. Sure. You know what I mean? I mean how a fictional, do you... fictional character.
1: Right. Fictional character <laughs> right, to right, me. Right, right, right be the most horrible person in the world but it's you know in a good book i I don't know
0: it's so interesting that it comes down to those same questions that used to be put before the law that that is like is there
1: purient intentions right as they say i know it when i see it what's that mean you could jerk off to it right you know (laughs) that's what that means
0: i guess it comes down fundamentally to each that the creator you know you it really becomes a question of of I guess, respect for others. Ultimately, what is your intention, right?
1: Yes. And of course, that's another thing. If the bad person in the thing is punished, that's like what they used to say at the Hays Code, that if anybody was promiscuous, they had to show something at the end, they were punished for that. Oh, in the movies. uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of thing too. Maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe, as we talked about, life isn't fair. Some people get away with it. Oh, of course, yeah, and I think that that's like <laughs>
0: once you were freed from the Hayes code, code, that's where you get a lot of those great '70s movies, a lot of great antiheroes, yeah. a lot of great sort of weird, you know, cliffhangers where the bad guy, you
1: know, gets away. Yeah, and I think that t- can be delightful. It doesn't Absolutely. have to be politically correct. The plot, I mean, maybe it is in real life. Like, does that person deserve it? Could be unfair. Anything. I don't know.
0: So, what you you're going to resume your Christmas tours?
1: Uh, hopefully. Uh, Will the club's open. I don't know. I saw you at the comedy store last year. Oh, good. I love doing it there. I did it there every year for a long time.
0: Yeah, I, uh, and you wonder. I mean, I think they'll open. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in touch with Peter. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, they're they're doing some renovations. I think they'll they'll open.
1: Yeah. So to me, though, it, it's it's hopefully I want to certainly, but will people rush to get back in a crowded club? I don't know yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm getting a little crazy. Are you going crazy or are you busy?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's actually just you miss your life. You know, you miss, you do it. I traveled really a lot for work and everything. And maybe I could, I don't know how I did it either. I look back, I wonder if I could ever do that again. How did I get on 50 airplanes a year how did i do that
0: well you know? like to keep moving you like to keep in keep yeah. going right
1: i like to keep in touch i got what am i going to write about if i don't see things it's
0: crazy that's the weirdest thing is this whole thing this whole year it's like the same day every day and it's like what do you You know what's your experience why well, I, I didn't get sick at the supermarket again this week you
1: know <laughs> i know i cook <laughs> i watched yet another movie yeah uh, uh what know, have you been so, watching oh every screener because i vote for the oscars the spirit awards oh. the director's guild the writer's guild the screen actor's guild even the razzies i vote for. what do you what do you so love what do you love i'm not allowed to say what did i love my 10 best is list is in art form every year and uh there are never movies to get nominated for the Oscar. right i i love this movie called butt boy what it isn't a gay movie it's yeah. about a man a straight father that goes to a proctologist and gets a exam and that makes him go crazy and he starts inhaling everything up his butt including a dog a child and finally the cop that's pursuing him and the last end of the movie takes place in his rectum (laughs) really for
0: your consideration thank you very much i'll have to get on that. Is that streaming now
1: you can get it. It's it was the New York Times gave it a good review. And also Swallow was a pretty good one too, about a woman that just eats staplers <laughs> and inappropriate objects.
0: So this is like this year for you has been yes, uh, you know, yes, yeah, Orifice themed. Yeah. Adventurous Orifice movies. Yeah. Okay. It was great talking to you, John.
1: All right. Thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to do this for a yeah, long time. Yeah. Right I'm,
0: right. I'm glad it worked out. Take care of yourself. Yeah, me too. All right. Thank you. That was John Waters. Happy birthday to him. All right. And get that prayer to Pasolini if you want to hear it. It's nice. It's good. It's, it's a thoughtful piece. It's, uh, it's on all digital music services. And also, a seven inch vinyl version is available to Sub Pop Singles Club subscribers. I'd also like to wish my mommy a happy birthday again. Happy birthday, mom. All right. Now it's fucking rock. everywhere and Buddy Holly